Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Uh, Psalm 112, Psalm 112, I'm going to open up with that uh, today. Uh, everything I'm going to share today is coming out of this uh, book called God Knows How to Raise Your Kids. This is a great series. I looked at it online, all three of the sessions. It is phenomenal because it is where everybody's living today, and as a parent of six kids, I want to make sure that, you know, we don't get lured into something we shouldn't be doing. This is uh, it's the last days. It's the greatest day in history to be alive. If you could have been around in the beginning, before Adam and Eve, and God could have asked you, you know, hey, when would you like to be born? You want to be born here with Adam and Eve in the garden? Uh, no, thank you, Father. That's not going to go good. They're going to go stupid and get fired from their job, evicted from their house. Their kids are going to kill each other. No, I don't want to be there. Well, well, how about Noah? Would you like to be born in Noah's day? You like boats, don't you? I love boats, Father. No doubt about that. I'm a boat lover. I said, but no, no, that's not going to go good. Uh, you know, I'm going to be on that boat for a whole year with all those animals shoveling a lot of stuff. That will not go well. No, thank you. It's no rudder, no motor. I just soon know. I, I don't want that. Well, how about when my son's born? You want to be around, you know, silent night, holy night, weave through kings of war and are? No, I read that story too. That didn't go good. That, they're going to nail him to cross the 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. That, no, thank you. Well, now, son, you got to pick some time to be born. When would you like to be born? I said, well, Father, if it's, if it's up to me, I would like to be born in the last days. He said, really? He said, yeah, you said in the last days your spirit's going to be poured out without measure. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy and not cuss you out in the kitchen. We'll be dreaming dreams and having visions. It's going to be the greatest time of human history. So if you don't mind, I'd like to show up at the last. Now, for whatever you believe, I believe that's what God's allowed me to do. I'm here at the greatest time of human history. And uh, I worked in the electrical industry for a number of years as an engineer when God called us into ministry. And uh, I was uh, what they call a process engineer. I, I fixed stuff that was broke. So God trained me for ministry. And because when, if it wasn't broke, I didn't get paid, and I loved it. I had job security because there's always something busted. And, uh, and so I got in the ministry, and then they, they assigned me to family ministry. I didn't pick it. They said, well, this is our opening. You're, you're our family pastor. I said, well, that's great. What, what do I do? Well, you're in charge of families. Well, I understand, but what do I do with them? Well, you help them. Well, help them what? They'll let you know. Don't worry. They'll let you know. And they did, and it was amazing. And... Uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to go back to the manual because one of the things I learned as an engineer, you always got to go back to the original manual of how the machine was made and what it was made to do. So I thought, well, if the family's busted, where did it get broke? Why did it get broke? How do we put it back together? So, you know, I went back to Genesis and started to read, and it didn't take long to figure out, you know, what happened after Adam and Eve sinned. You know, they got fired, evicted, and kids killing each other. And man was supposed to be a lover, leader, and a provider. That was his job. He's supposed to love his wife and love his family. I mean, you give it away. Love's not something that you get, something that you give. Man was supposed to be a leader, 1 Corinthians 11.3. I'm to lead my family, not by being a dictator. I'm to lovingly lead, and I'm to provide, 1 Timothy 5.8. It's my job to write checks and make money. And so, you know, I griped about that for a while because we started dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven, and they, they were, <laughs> you know, it was funny when they were born. Everybody showed up and bought you cheap gifts, and then they all left. They didn't show back up until the kids left high school, and you're on your own for about 18 years, and it got really expensive. <laughs> God, what were you thinking? What? what? And, uh, but I found some great things, so I'm going to give you a couple of passages here. Psalm 112, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, uh, verse 1 through 3, says this, says, Praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commandments. 
their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. I thought, now, boy, that would make a good bumper sticker. And I realized something. There, there, there's, there's three things listed there. If you fear God, if you delight in the Word, your kids will succeed. Now, I, think I, I, I like that. Well, what you realize is success only comes through one thing, comes through the Word of God. Uh, two things last forever, humans and the Bible, the Word of God. Everything else is going to disappear. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. So I thought, well, if these two things last forever, I might want to put some time into them, people and the Word of God. Now, we all know John 1, you know, it's a great scripture. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything that was created was created by God, the Word. So I thought, well, maybe we need to put some time in, in, into the Bible, into the Word. So I, I thought we need to start a class on parenting at our church, you know, because evidently Monday through Friday our offices are packed with counseling appointments. Like, man, what is going on? I said, well, we need to teach them. Uh, they're born again. They're spirit-filled. Uh, they're paying their tithe. Our church was huge. Back in the 70s, we had a 3,000-member church. That was a mega church before mega churches existed. We didn't know why they came. We had no evangelism. We, we did have a busing program. We bus kids away from our church, all three services, Sunday morning. We had three buses, and we would fill them up with children. We would bus them to a shopping center about a mile south of our church because we did not have room for them. People would call and ask, how are you growing? We don't know. Do you have a busing program? Yes, we do. Well, where do you pick kids up? We don't. We bust them away. We're trying to get them out of the building. We don't. I'm not, I know you're laughing, but I'm serious. We don't. What do you have bus for? Get them out of here. We don't have room for them. And, of course, that wave eventually hit the shore, and we didn't. We had to have a real church. like how we, we had to really go get people on purpose, you know, and that was a whole different deal right there. But I began to realize something as we taught those classes on parenting. Our wonderful born-again spirit-filled people didn't know a thing about family. Family was broke, you know, got broke in the garden. It's still broke, you know. Uh, we got one of the highest divorce rates in the world, you know. Currently, we're about a 50% divorce rate, first-time marriages, or 67% on second marriages, 73% of divorce rate on third marriages. The longer you're married, the more you're married, the more often you're going to get divorced. Like, what happened? Well, it's broke. What happened is if you're not born again, you're selfish. It's all I, me, me, I, I, me, and mine. What happens is when you get born again, you die. Of a, of a, I used to tell people a wedding's a funeral. They got the cards all wrong at Hallmark. It, it, and I'll say, I'm so sorry, I heard you got married. <laughs> because <laughs> you laugh, I'm serious. A marriage is a covenant, and you can't have a covenant unless somebody dies. And so what you're saying at a marriage ceremony is you're swearing before God and witnesses for the rest of my life, I'm living for them. Today, I'm dying, and the rest of my life, until death us we do part, or I kill you one. It's going to be one or the other. And you, that's usually how it ends up. It's like, no, I'm going to spend the rest of my life living for you. And, and even Jesus summed up the whole Old Testament, two scriptures. You need to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Second commandment's likened unto it. You need to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And I thought, what? You need to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And I got to thinking, well, in our city in Tulsa, the prisons are full, the orphanages are full, the halfway houses are full, the hospitals are packed. Like, whew, what's going on? Well, evidently people don't love themselves. Because it says this, I'm to love my wife. Paul told the church of Ephesus, I'm to love, love your wife as you love yourself. What? I want you to love your wife like you love you. Well, what if you don't love you? <laughs> well, your wife's in trouble. Because God's the only source of love, and you can't give away what you've not received. 
You've got to know God first or you don't have the ability to love. You can say I love you all day long. You don't have the power to do it because there's only one source of love in the universe and that's God Almighty. God is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. So I summarize this. I gave three things in eight, eight years. People used to ask, what'd you learn? I, I wrote these down. Number one, most homes are child-centered. And everybody, we love our children. We love our children. And, and it's like I flew up here uh, yesterday and, and uh, there was a grand student. The grandparents were sitting next to me and uh, the parents were sitting up front and the three kids were pretty much wherever they wanted to go. And they dominated that whole plane ride. They had their own iPads. They wanted everybody to see what they did and how they did it. And they wanted to stand up and not sit down and not put on their seatbelt. And, and, and those grandparents, those parents empowered them. Well, whatever you'd like and what would you want? And, hey, would you like to do this? It's like, you know, I don't know about you. My parents never did that. My parents had two words, sit down, shut up. Spoke when you're spoken to. At dinner time, you didn't talk. Man, you weren't allowed to talk at dinner time. Shut your face and eat. Well, you know, I thought, you know, we've kind of changed. Then we got off the plane. We're trying to go to the baggage claim to get our luggage. And so we're, so, well, they, the kids want to stop at the playground. There's a nice playground in the Akron Airport. And so, every, and the grandparents agreed. I don't know where they're from. And so the kids played and did everything. Well, by the time they got down there, their luggage was gone because, you know, it only comes around a couple of times and they store it somewhere. Where's our luggage? Well, you were too busy horsing around with your kids. And so what do you think your kids are going to be like when they grow up? They're going to be I, me, me, and I, I want to do, I want to do, I want to do, me, I. And I can't wait for them to get married. They're going to marry some Because you marry who you are. You know that, don't you? Well, it's in the Bible. Ahab found Jezebel's. Je, uh, Je, Jezebel, she, she was just as nasty as he was. You know, Ruth found Boaz. You find who you are. I used to tell teenagers want to get married. Said I wouldn't get married. You're marrying you, and you don't need to be married. Trust me, this is not <laughs> like kind, false like kind. So anyhow, I found these three things. Most homes are child-centered. You know, they're making a god out of. That's why after the kids leave home, the divorce rate triples because you don't, you don't, you're not in love anymore. You stop being in love. You stop being married. You just start taking care of kids, writing checks, and making sure they're happy. The other kind of home is that authoritarian home where you don't know what to do, so you just scream, yell, and hit a lot. Shut up! You shut up! And say, I'll beat the dog at you! And that's where the other half is. Just, that's a blessing. <laughs> so we've got those two extremes that we saw all the time in counseling. In our church, I'm not talking about heathens. These are our people. These are our born-again, tithing, you know, mission-trip-attending people. Second thing you realize this is children don't raise themselves. And parents will isolate their kids. They turn their bedrooms into an apartment. Got your own TV and your own computer and your own CD player and your own headphones. Got your own refrigerator and, you know, and you'd order food up. You know. well, I learned the hard way when I taught parenting class. I said, well, I'm changing that. And I did. I went home. I, I gutted all my kids' bedrooms. I gutted them. Took everything out. There's nothing in your bedroom except a bed, a dresser, and a closet. There's nothing else electric in there at all go to sleep get up get downstairs we got a big tv room a movie room got computers but not in your bedroom your bedroom is not an apartment i wouldn't let the kids take their cell phone you go to bed at night your cell phone goes on the kitchen table you're not going to talk stupid till 3 a.m because you run out of smart stuff to say and then stupid stuff starts coming out of your mouth <laughs> and in case you don't know it all cell phones are permanent conversation they've got you recorded till jesus comes <laughs> oj found that out Every text is permanent. You think you're texting private? Uh-uh, it's permanent. It's on a computer somewhere. So don't talk stupid. Go to sleep. <laughs> so children don't raise themselves. They need parents. They need parents forever. You'll be raising your kids when they're 70 and you're 90. Kids don't stop growing when they turn 18. I don't know who came up with that number. That's a dumb number. 
and things like this. And kids don't do well when there are no boundaries. There's got to be some rules, regulations, rewards, and punishment. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. There are things we do at our house, things we don't do. You know, kids want to go somewhere to 2 a.m. I said, no, no. Well, Dad, everybody's going to be there, and you won't. Well, Dad, it's a Christian home. No, it's not. It's got to be. No, no, God's got a simple system. Sun goes down, you go to sleep. Sun comes up, you get up. It's a simple system. <laughs> Nothing good ever happened at 2 a.m. I've read the newspaper my whole life. Never read one good thing to happen at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so we had certain rules at our house, you know, and people are like, here's Harmon. No, you're going to hug my neck when you're an adult. And your kids are going to think I was, you know, a saint compared to what you're going to, because you'll add to it, I guarantee, because I'm going to save your life. And so we realized there's a certain things you had to come up with. So I'm going to read these scriptures to you. I like this because I realized when I read Psalm 112 that I, my children to be successful everywhere, I want successful kids. And I used to, I wanted nice kids. I wanted to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I want you to be polite and pass out, not lie, not cheat, not steal, not fornicate, not get drunk, not smoke dope. I've got some rules. Well, the reason you have rules, the more rules you make, the more they break. That's why God gave the law. God gave the law because Israel didn't know it was a sin that, to do anything. They thought they were fine. So God gave them. No human has ever kept the law except Jesus. You know, everybody worships the Ten Commandments, especially down south. It's the Holy Grail, the Ten Commandments. Well, the reason God gave the Ten Commandments is to show Israel they were a doofus. You're a doofus, but you don't know it. You need my son, but you don't know that yet. So we're going to start with the law. I'm going to give you these 10. I'm going to add a 603 more to it later on. So it'll be 613. We'll just start with these 10. And the reason I'm going to give them to you is to let you know you can't keep them. Every Sabbath, every Saturday, blood's going to run like a trough outside of Jerusalem. We're going to slit every throat you got. It's going to cost you every bull, every goat, every dove, every bull, everything you've got, every sheep you've got. We're going to slit their throats. Why? Because you couldn't go seven days without sinning. Nobody reads their Bible. It's in there. It's a really entertaining book. Couldn't make a movie out of it. People get grossed out. What's the, what are you doing down there? Well, we're cutting throats. Why? Because somebody had to die. We can't want you to die. We need you, so we're going to bring your bull down there. We'll cut its throat. You're going to go broke. You won't have a cow left. Now, why did God give the Ten Commandments? To show them, I'm going to give you this to show you can't keep them. That's why there's speed limit signs every three miles on the interstate. It's still 65. Son of a gun. <laughs> three miles later it's still 65 praise god i'm glad they remind me i forgot all about that that's why grown men buy radar detectors that's a five-year-old thumb sucker ain't nobody gonna tell me how fast drop. i'm not fat i don't want to drop well get your thumb sucking self on out there big boy because the government's got people with bubbles on the car it's going to help you drive the speed limit Romans 13, if you don't do what's right, God said, I've got authority that will help you do what's right. I wish you would do it yourself, but you won't. And so you realize as we begin to go through this, every human's got a sin nature. That's why you need to get born again. You need to become a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. And even though you're born again, you're still going to sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if a Christian says they don't sin, they're a liar. We're still growing in God's grace and knowledge, but at least now we know what to do. We know how to repent quick, forgive quick. So if I want successful kids, number one, i got to recognize you're, you're not perfect. I want you to succeed. What you do, if you look up the word success, uh, the opposite of success is not failure. And look it up in any dictionary, Webster's, Merriam-Webster. The opposite of success is mediocre. God said, I want you to succeed. I don't want you to just get by. I'm not talking about you failing. You're going to fall on your face. The righteous fall seven times a day. They get back up. You're going to scoop dirt with your lower lip on a regular basis because you're still a human. 
But I want you, I want you to succeed. I don't want you to just get by. And that's where most humans are. Well, we just want to get by. We, we had a good year, man. Nobody got fired and nobody got laid off. Nobody died and the dog's still alive and the transmission didn't fall out and the refrigerator door still stays shut. Praise God. <laughs> and the devil lures us to, into a spirit of mediocrity. We don't, well, we don't want to show off and succeed. Well, I do. God's will is that I succeed. My kids succeed. That means I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be really good at something. So I'll give you these right here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. This is Jesus. He said, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, Jesus said. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. God hates mediocrity. God hates mediocrity. If you're going to do something, do it. Do it well. Look at this. I like this. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Well, do it with all your might if you do something. Don't do it halfway. Don't do anything halfway. Don't live halfway. Don't clean house halfway. Don't go to work halfway. Do something and do it right. Make people cry when you leave, not throw a party. Yeah, some of you got that. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. So I realize something, mediocrity is a sin. I don't like it. I want my kids to be successful. How are you going to succeed? You're going to have to find out what the Word of God says. I can't follow you around. I'm not cast with the ghost. I can't follow you 24 hours a day. But if you get the Word of God in you, it'll stay with you 24 hours a day, 24 hours a day and you're going to do really good. So I'll give you these. I've given you Psalm 112. Look at this. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7. It's a new living again. Uh, this is the angel talking to Joshua. Joshua's about to cross the river. You know, he's been second command to Moses. Moses, you know, messed up. He didn't cross the river. And so Joshua's about, he's looking over. Where are you going? The promised land. We're going to live in houses we didn't build, eat from vineyards we didn't plant. Woo, kumbaya, the land of more than enough milk and honey. Kumbaya. Problem is, there's big, ugly people living there. We should have got that land 400 years ago. When we didn't possess it 400 years ago, the devil brought giants to the land. They're squatting on our property because the devil's a thief, a murderer, and a liar. So now there's guys living over there that are 10 foot, 2 inches tall. They've got 6 fingers, 10, 6 toes, and they've got bad breath. What are they doing? Oh, they're squatting on your stuff. That's your stuff, God said. I gave it to you, but you didn't take it. So big, ugly people took it. Well, I'm giving it to you again. Go get it. Well, what do we do with ugly people? Well, run them off. It's your stuff. So Josh was thinking about it. Man, they're big. That's some big old boys over there. So the angel shows up, and here's what he tells him. Be strong and very courageous. Why is he telling that? Because he needs to hear it. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, either going to the left or to the right. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book, instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. What do we realize? Well, if I don't fear God and delight in His commandments, success isn't going to come to me. I'm going to be lured into mediocrity. I'll never do anything worth reading about. Because I'm in heart and in heart. And teacher went and passed me. Coach went and played me. My boss wouldn't give me a raise. My wife wouldn't kiss me. My kids wouldn't hug me. My dog wouldn't let me pet it. In heart. <laughs> Man, music radio is full of songs like that. Psalm 90, verse 17. I love this. Says this, may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, may God make our efforts successful. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to succeed. Who's trying to help me succeed? Well, God. Now I like this in Proverbs 1, 
3. This is real good. Proverbs 1, 3 says this. The purpose of the Proverbs is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. What's the purpose of all that scripture? I'm trying to teach you how to live a disciplined and successful life. I want you to be more than a conqueror, an overcomer. I want you to be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. I didn't say hell would make a run at you. Tests and trials come to everybody. I expect you to get up and overcome. I expect you to finish real strong. I expect when you get to heaven, so you'll hear your father say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not that life was easy. It's that we were more than a conqueror and an overcomer. God expects me to succeed in every area of my life, my marriage, my health, my wealth, my family. What are you trying to do? Succeed. What's the opposite of that? Fail? Huh? No, just hanging, just hanging on, just hanging on. Proverbs 1, 3 says, the purpose, again, of the Proverbs is to teach people how to succeed. Now, I realized when I read this, how am I going to do this for my kids? I love my kids. I do. The kids have been in church ever since the day they were born. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you name it. We've been on mission trips. We've been on all of them. But I realized something. Being around it doesn't get it in you. Just because you're hanging around something doesn't mean it went into you. Just because I tell you what to do doesn't mean you're getting hungry for yourself. I've got to create a natural hunger in you for the Word of God. Because if you don't get God in you, it's not going to work. You understand? I know a lot of kids came out of good homes and went crazy. Why? Well, you were around God, but God never got inside you. So I thought, well, I'm trying to make them read their Bible. I got the daily, you know, New Living Translation paperback, and I, we'd carry it all the time, buy them a new one every year, try to make them wear it out. And we'd drive to school in the morning. It was a long trip, 30 miles, one way to go to school, and I'd get them in the back of the Suburban. Some got dressed, some didn't. Some had breakfast, some hadn't. Some got their homework, some didn't. It was a zoo. I'm pulling out of the driveway. It's a mile and seven-tenths to the paved road. By the time we hit the paved road, I said, okay, what is today? Somebody said, well, it's August the 8th. All right, Proverbs 8. Read the first three verses. Dad, i got to do my homework first. Shut up. You read the first three verses of Proverbs 8, I'm pulling off the side of the road, and I'll sit here all day. And I've done it. I pulled off the side of the road, just sit there, and they're just staring. Fine, i got nothing to do. You sit here all day. Get out if you want to. They won't let you play ball tonight, I'll guarantee you that. Fine, and they get mad. Fine, fine, word of God says, and they're just screaming. <laughs> Fine, I don't care your attitude, just get it out of your mouth. Now, and then they'd throw their Bible to one of their siblings, it's your turn, you read, you know. And, and so it wasn't always a holy moment. We didn't play music, nobody hummed a hymn. It was uh... So I realized, i got to simplify this, i got to boil this thing down. Now, I'm an old engineer, and I love numbers, and I know God's kind of a, he's a number God. Threes, fours, fives, sevens, twelves, twenty-ones, I love numbers. And so three was a great number. Everything God did, he almost did in threes. You know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Spirit, Soul, and Body. You know, you start going through all the scriptures, and I thought, oh, I need to boil this down for my kids. So I started off with a three-by-five card. I got blank three-by-five cards, and I, I got them on a Sunday night after church. and said, here, i got a new rule for you, new rule. Oh, dear God, what is it, Dad? Shut up, new rule. I don't want you to read your Bible ever again. No more Bible reading. I want you to stop. Don't read it. Don't read it. I've been trying to make you read it for years. You don't want to do it. Then don't read it. I'll just use reverse psychology. Don't you ever read your Bible. <laughs> so, so instead of reading your Bible, I'm just going to give you one, one verse for the week on a three by five card. One verse. I just want you to meditate on this verse for the entire week. One stinking verse. And so I started off in Jude. I thought, well, I'll go to the back and work my way to the front. So I went to Jude verse 20. And it's got a nasty list of things in the last days. You know, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, heady, high-minded, truth-breakers, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, disobedient to parents. It's just a skanky list. At the end of that, he says, but you, my dearly beloved, need to do three things. Number one, build up yourself on your most holy faith. Number two, pray in the Holy Ghost. Number three, walk in love. If you'll do that, it's going to go really good. So I put that on the cards for my six kids. Here, you got seven days to do one of these three things. I'm not going to ask you to do all three, just, just one. This week, build up yourself in your most holy faith. So Sarah, how, Sarah, how do you build your faith? She said, am I reading the Bible? Yep, well, you can't do that anymore. I just made a rule. No more reading the Bible, so forget that one. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So you'll have no faith this week. 
So number two, what's the second thing you do? We can pray in tongues. You filled with the Holy Ghost? What? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Can you pray in tongues? Yeah. Can you? Well, if I count to three, can you do it for me? No. Well, then you probably can't. You're just embarrassed. And so, and of course, just, well, I'm praying in tongues. Well, good. Sometime this week, you know, tomorrow, Monday morning, on the way to school, coming home after basketball, pick about 60 seconds and just pray in tongues. Shondai Hikima, who stole a Mahonda, just cut something loose. I don't care. <laughs> Because the Bible says when you're praying in the Spirit, you're praying the absolute perfect will of God for your life. And if you'll just pray in the Holy Ghost for about 60 seconds, three months from now, something great's going to happen for you. An incredible door's going to open up, something good. And you're going to think, boy, I got lucky. There's no such thing as luck. There's God, the devil, heaven, and hell, and you're in between like an Oreo cookie. <laughs> what you did, you prayed in tongues three months ago, and you prayed that out, and God's been working that, and that's what happened today. The manifestation of you praying in tongues three months ago just come to pass. That's why Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, I pray in tongues all the time, more than all of you. So you ought to pray in tongues. And number three, if you don't want to pray in tongues, walk in love. You know what that means? Well, what? I said, well, it didn't say like. There's a lot of people you don't like. I know that. But you've got to love everybody. That means it's what you do for them. Love's what you do for somebody, not what you feel about it. For God so loved, he gave. So when you're walking down the hallway at school, if somebody drops their pencil, pick it up. If somebody drops their book, help them out. If their lock won't shut, help them shut it. If they got to school and forgot their lunch, share half of yours. Be a blessing to somebody at some point. You got seven days to do something for somebody. That's all I'm asking. Well, you know, they knew I was being, you know, sarcastic. So they came back in the next Sunday. Said, well, what's the report? How did it work? That's incredible. I read my Bible every day. Well, praise God. We got that faith off the ground. It's not a noodle anymore. You got a little toothpick of faith now. Dad, I prayed in tongues every day. Well, if the good things are coming, baby doll, you prayed the perfect will of God. And Dad, I, I was a blessing. I shared my lunch twice this week. Well, you need to lose some weight. That's good for you. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, I'm serious. I'm cleaning it up a lot. I'm cleaning it up a lot. I said, well, here's your next card. So I went to Micah 6.8 the next week. Micah 6.8, three things, O man of God, do I require thee. Number one, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. So here's your next scripture. It's just one sentence. Do justly. Do what's right. This week, at school, in class, on the ball field, wherever you are, do what's right because it's right to do what's right. Don't do what's right because somebody's looking. Because there's going to be times the devil's going to lie to you. Hey, nobody's looking. We can get away with it. No, you can't. God's looking. The devil's looking. Angels are looking and demons are looking. And somebody's writing it down. The Bible says you and I will give an account of every idle thought, every idle word, and every idle deed. Some men sins are dealt with in this life. Some incense will be dealt with in the next life, but nobody gets away with anything. Well, if that's true, just go ahead and do what's right, even if nobody's looking because somebody is looking. Do what's right because it's right to do what's right. It's called righteousness. There's great rewards for righteousness. Do justice. I love this. Love mercy. What's mercy? Well, that's, that's what you need when you've sinned on purpose. Be merciful to other people. You know, Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times have we got to forgive somebody? Seven times? No, about 70 times seven. What? <laughs> like, well, you're kidding. No, what, every day, 49, you get after it. What are you supposed to do? Be forgiving. Why? Because you were a sinner one time. Somebody forgave you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody witnessed you. God drew you out of his goodness. Well, because you earned it. So why don't you be good to somebody? Because it messes with them when they know they don't deserve it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Draws unbelievers. So be merciful. You know, I tell people all the time that when you need mercy, the Bible says run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and help in time of need. Like, when do you go to God? Well, when you need him. It'd be like running into heaven out of breath. <laughs> and God says, hey, son, how you doing? Pretty good. What are you doing here? I saw come hang out. Are you in trouble? What? Are you in trouble? I might be. 
Have you sinned? What? Did you sin? Maybe. How's it working out for you? Not too good. God says when you sin, you don't run away from God. You run to God. What's mercy? You don't deserve it. You don't earn it, but God will give it if you ask for it. Blind Bartimaeus needed eyeballs. He didn't ask for eyeballs when Jesus came by. He started screaming, mercy, son of David. Have mercy. Why? He, he's heard about God. God is a merciful, forgiving God. You ask him, he'll give it to you. So I tell this week, be merciful to somebody. Don't judge them. Well, you know what they're like, and I know what they did, and I know what they said. And they said, blah, 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 and you're just like a toilet running over. Shut your face up. Be merciful. Love somebody. Love comes from a multitude of sins. And then be humble. What does that mean? You start doing the Word of God, things are going to start happening for you. I mean, it's going to get good. And what happens is if you don't watch out, your little old flesh will get arrogant. You'll think you're somebody. The Bible says pride goes right before a fall. About the time you think you're doing something on your own, the rug's going to come right out from under you. You're going to hit your face in front of a lot of people. So stay humble. Humble's not weak. Meek's not weak. Meek is teachable. God said he will exalt the meek. What does it mean? Teachable. Realize something. I wouldn't be here without God. I wouldn't be doing this without God. I couldn't do anything without God. But now since God's with me, there's nothing that I can't do. So I went through and I just started feeding the cards and I think we sold out of them on the table. They said there's a few decks. So my daughter, I got, I got a, my daughter owns my public, well she owns half my publishing company. It's called God Knows. This is our publishing company called Stone Bluff Publishing. And so we got tired of paying somebody else for books. We just got our own company. And she's a marketing major. So uh, she said, Dad, we need our own company. I said, okay. And so when, when I hired her, you know, she, I, she, I gave her 10% of the company. You're going to own 10%. I'm going to own 90, 10. God gets 10, you get 10, that's a lot. Well, my wife got involved. She found out, said, you and Corey are going to have a company? Uh-huh, yeah, we're going to start a publishing company together. She's a marketing major. I got the stuff. She knows how to market it, and we're going to form a company. So we formed a corporation, a for-profit corporation, you know. And she said, uh, she said well, I understand you made her a 10% partner. And I thought she was bragging. I did. She gets 10%. She said, why? Well, she deserves it. Don't you think she deserves more? More than what? More than 10%. Dear God, no, it's my company. I built it, and I've done it, I've studied it. No, I'm paying her 10% because she knows about marketing. I'm hiring her for what I don't know. Don't you think she deserves half? <laughs> not hardly. She says, well, if she doesn't get half, she's not going to do this company. I'm going to tell you that right now. So Corey owns half my company because I love my wife, and I still like to kiss her every now and then. And so, <laughs> so Corey owns half my corporation. I'm shortening that up. It's about a three-hour conversation, but I'm... <laughs> So Corey owns half my company, and what that means was she had a lot of liberty. So I came in one day, and there's cases of, of these cards on the floor in my office. There's just cases of them. I said, what is that? So what are cards called telling your child the truth? So what is that? So well, that's what you, when you teach about how you gave us three by five cards with three things on it to do. People keep asking for that, and you keep telling them to make their own. I do, because you need to. You remember what you do. Do it yourself. I'm not going to make your card for you. Go get your own Bible, read your own Bible, make your own card. She said, well, you need to help him. You didn't make cards. I'm not making a card. She said, well, I did. I said, what? Yeah, we made them. He said, except three scriptures. I just put one on there. And there's cases. I said, how much did you, how much did you spend on this? And she told me, I said, you can't do that. Sure, I can't own half the company. <laughs> I write the checks, but I own half the company. And it was an ugly conversation. I can't repeat hardly any of it. It was really ugly. <laughs> what are we going to do with it? She said, we're going to give them away. When you do that sermon, you'll give them away. Dear God, Corey, how much again? And so, anyhow, we tried to give them away for several weekends, and nobody would take them. And so I got massive. You spent thousand dollars just doing nothing for nobody. I'm just mad because I'm a Christian, and uh, <laughs> the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so, uh, so anyhow, I went through this process, and finally, she said, "Well, we've done it wrong, marketing, Dad. There's no value. We're going to start charging ten dollars a box." 
and that's going to fix it. Trust me, Dad, it'll fix it. Perceived value, perceived value. So we started charging $10 a box. Well, we sold out in two months. I bought a year's worth of cards. We sold out in two months. People, they're gone. If we had two or three services, like we never made it till the next service, they're gone. Like, what? I told you, Dad, it's a great idea. And of course, we got great reports. Parents take, just put one card in their kid's lunchbox or put it in a backpack or send it to college with them, mail it to them. What are you going to do? Just meditate on one scripture. It's called telling a child the truth. Now, you, I don't care which one you pick. Says, uh, I like this. I don't have a spirit of, uh, of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What is that? That's just one scripture. Meditate on this week. You don't have a spirit of fear. <laughs> no, you don't. Every time God dealt with any of his people, he used words. You ever notice that? When Joshua was going to be somebody, he had a vision. All of a sudden, his brothers hated his guts. He got sold off into prison. And for 20 years, he's a prisoner. He had a vision, but he's a prisoner. Next thing you know, he gets asked to interpret a dream. He's the second most powerful man on the face of the planet. Esther's whole family went into captivity. They'd send men. She's captive. And the king has a beauty contest, and she gets picked because she happened to be a good-looking slave. And now he's going to make her his bride. Now she's all drifted up and she's crying. I am mean, the wife to a heathen king. Because, you know, <laughs> it's the whole great things. And the prophet of God said, no, you've been born for such a time as this. You're about to save a nation. And I can sit here all day and give you all the characters of the Bible from David, who was hated by his father, hated by his brothers, but became the king all kings were measured against. Solomon, who came out of an illicit relationship when his dad and his mom, you know, his dad has an affair with a woman, has her husband killed, and first kid dies, he's the next one to show up. Where'd you come from? An illicit affair, and I became the wisest man that ever lived. God loves to show off. What the devil does, he tells you, well, you're not smart enough. And you didn't pass algebra, and you didn't finish school. You can't walk and chew gum. You never could diagram a sentence, and you've been fired five times, and you're never going to be nothing. No, no, I'm going to be very successful, God promised me. I fear God, and I will succeed. I might be falling on my face, but I will succeed. Every multimillionaire who made it fell on their face a thousand times getting there. From Thomas Edison, Abraham Lincoln lost 16 elections in a row before he got elected president. How would you get elected president? I lost 16 elections in a row. I kept figuring out what to do right. Don't do that. That didn't work. Don't do that. That didn't work. I finally put them together. This worked. I became president, saved a nation. God's got you and your family destined for greatness. But if you don't get the word of God, and the devil's not afraid of me, he's afraid of Christ in me coming out of my mouth. So somewhere we got to feed it. So I'll just give you this last scripture. I love this. This is, um, I think there's only seven boxes left. You can't find them. You order them and we'll pay the shipping. I'm sorry we ran out. I thought we had plenty of them we brought. Or get your own three by five card. You can get those at Walmart. You've got a pencil in your house somewhere. It works really good. <laughs> Second Timothy, Paul was about to die. He's about to go to heaven. And he's real excited. Man, I've run my race. I've finished my course. I'm about to go. And he gets a letter from his son, Timothy. Paul wasn't married, as far as we know, but he's adopted Timothy. Timothy had no father. If he did, we don't hear about him. The Bible talks about his mother and his grandmother being great women of faith, but we don't know about the men. They weren't worth writing about, evidently. So Timothy's a mama's boy. He grew up in a mama's boy's home. And so all of a sudden he's pastoring a church at Ephesus. Most historians say the church at Ephesus had either 5,000 or he had 20,000. I'll go with the small number. Let's just say he only had 5,000. So he's got a 5,000-member church. Things are really going great. He is setting the woods on fire, and all of a sudden things start going bad. And he, he, he writes, Paul, 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 you can't die. Paul, you've got to come help me. It's not going good. It's going crazy. The women are trying to take over the church. I'm losing my sanity. I think I'm going crazy. I'm going to kill myself. Paul, please come get me. Now, I know he wrote that because of what Paul wrote back to him. We don't have the letter Timothy wrote. We just have the letter Paul wrote back. And Paul, in essence, said this. You can read it in the King James, New Living, whatever, 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Paul writes back, says, My dearly beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What? My dearly beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Well, he's not well pleased. What's he saying? He's saying what God says. God loves you, you little snot-nosed, wimpy baby mama's boy. <laughs> Gideon was a wimp hiding in a hole. God sent an angel to Gideon to call him a mighty man of courage. The angel, hello, you mighty men of courage. Gideon argued with the angel. Man, you made a wrong turn coming out of heaven. There are no mighty men down here, man. I'm done. <laughs> when God wanted to change anything, he spoke. He didn't yell, he didn't cuss, he didn't threaten, he spoke. You want to change something, you got to speak. You got to speak what God says. I'm not going to lie about a situation. If it's bad, I'll say it, but I got to start saying what God says about it. If you're going to raise great kids, you got to start saying what God says about them. Well, you know, God says he's going to work everything out to your good. You know, he really is. Praise God, he's going to give you divine favor. I don't know what you've done wrong, but he's going to give you favor. So Timothy writes, Paul writes to him the best, my dearly beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, I am mindful of your tears. Now that's King James. I am mindful of your tears. What's that mean? You snot-nosed mama's boy. You a grown man. You crying? Are you crying? Are you, you snot no, no, I am mindful of your tears. <laughs> the next thing he tells him, you got faith. Now why does he tell him that? Because evidently Timothy thinks he doesn't. My hate is failing me. It's not working. I'm losing my church. Am I going crazy? I'm losing my mind. He said, you got faith. You know how I know? Because your grandmother had it. Mm-hmm. That was a mean woman. <laughs> your mama had it. She had faith. Those women could whip the devil with one arm tied behind them. I guarantee. Message translation. You've got to read it. It's real entertaining. <laughs> and here's what he tells them. You don't have a spirit of fear. Now, why is Paul the Apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, prayed in tongues from anybody, why is he telling them that? It's exactly what he's got. How are you going to get it out of him? I'm going to tell you what God says. You don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Don't tell me you can't do this. Don't tell me you're fried, you're burned out. The same power that raised Christ out of the grave is in you right now. See, you don't have a spirit of fear. power. You have a spirit of love. Don't tell me you don't love those people. I don't care if they all go to hell. I don't everyone go to hell. I don't care. You got a spirit of love. The love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, and you got saved. You just need to stir it up. And don't tell me you're going crazy. You have the mind of Christ. People who have the mind of Christ can't go crazy. And then Paul spends the next two chapters in two-word statements. You need to stir up the gift that's in you. You need to encourage yourself. In the word of God. And Paul did nothing for two chapters. Boom, boom, boom. Speaking the word of God over him. And it saved Timothy's life. If you've got a challenge in your life. With your money, your marriage, your kids, your family, your sanity, your health. The only way out of it is people is doing what God said. You've got to speak what God said to speak. And people say, Are you I went through Canada one time. Are you that name and claim it religion? What? Are you from that name and claim it bunch? Probably. I think we believe that. If you believe in your heart, Jesus is the Son of God, and God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. You confess that with your mouth. Yeah, I believe it, and I confess it, and I'm saved. That's how I got saved. I named it and claimed it. I got, I got saved that way. How did you get the Holy Ghost? Well, I heard there was one. I asked for it, prayed in tongues. I believed it, and I said it, and Shondai Hickimo. Yeah, I guess I believe that. Now, they didn't send me home. They kept me for three weeks. It was amazing. They begged for money every service for something they needed. They always needed something. They wouldn't confess it. They wouldn't say it, but they sure would beg flesh for it. Now, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Call those things to be not as though they are. You know, you've got to start saying what God says, not what you feel. What do you say? I'm going to say what God says. I'm going to agree with the word of God, and God's about to do a miracle. Now, let's stand up. We're going to do something. I'm going to give you three things. Don't close your eyes. Keep your 
Head up, your eyes open. I believe in this. I did this this morning. I'll do it tonight. I've done this all my life ever since I had kids. My oldest is 36. I realize I'm not a perfect parent. Didn't take me long to realize that. I had messed up. My first two were guinea pigs. I wrote them a letter one time. I apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I just did the best I could, and I didn't know. So forgive me. Go with God. Great grace on you. Now I know. Because they said, Dad, you turned into a giant marshmallow. You let the other kids get away with everything. No, I learned from you what not to do. I was too mean and too hard with you. I'm sorry. Praise God. But God's going to bless you for it. And he has. They're, they still love me. They still hug my neck. But three things. Psalm 34, 11 says this. Now this is God. God says, come to me, children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Come to me, children. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Now why is the fear of God important? The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, 10, is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What will wisdom and knowledge do? Wisdom will get you long life, riches, and honor. Knowledge will fill every room of your house with pleasant and precious riches. What do you need? I need to fear God. So we're going to say it. I'm going to ask God. We're going to say it with our mouth. Father, I give you permission to teach my children to fear you. Psalm 512 says, I will surround the righteous with divine favor. I said, are you born again? I asked my kid, are you born again? Yes. Then you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And God has promised to surround you with divine favor. Quit telling me coach doesn't like you. He likes you. He just doesn't know it yet. Don't tell me the boss ain't going to give you a raise. The boss loves you. He just doesn't know it yet because you are surrounded with a shield of divine favor. He did it for Daniel. He did it for Joseph. And they were slaves in a foreign country and ended up running the foreign country because of a shield of divine favor. God promised you a shield of divine favor. You going to agree with that? You, well, no man, hey, no man likes you. You're going to be a doofus till Jesus comes to get you. Some thumb sucking. I never had a rake. No one ever loved me. Nobody. Shut your face up. Dear God. We got a table for you in heaven. It's a card table. You won't be at the marriage supper. You'll be at a card table with a chicken leg around your neck. <laughs> now, I've cleaned that up a lot, too. <laughs> Number three, Proverbs 27, 17, is iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. You need godly friends. You need friends. Friends, somebody who will tell you the truth. A friend is somebody who will stretch you, not hug your neck. You don't need a neck hugger and a backpack. Well, bless your heart. Bless you. I don't need, that's not a friend. That's a doofus. You need somebody that's going to stretch you and make you stronger and make you better. So God says this, this is his will that you have friends in your life. So Proverbs 27, 17 is iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. So we're going to thank God for godly friends. So everybody, say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It sets me free. It keeps me free. According to your word, I ask you, teach my family to fear you. Surround my family with divine favor bring to my family godly friends i thank you for it in jesus name so many angels you can't count got busy right then things are about to happen in your family this year i promise because god will watch over his word to perform it do you believe that amen bow your heads and close your eyes just for 60 seconds nobody looking nobody moving two questions nobody looking nobody moving are you here this morning you say joe i do not know jesus christ as my lord and savior i have never ever asked him into my heart but God's been dealing with me this morning, and I'd like to do something about that now. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm simply going to ask you, if that's you in a few seconds, to raise your hand and wave it at me and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God promised he'll save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. 
Or perhaps you're here this morning and say, Joe, I'm saved. I've just not been living for God lately. My life's not turned out quite like I thought. But I've been convicted this morning, Joe. I'm ready to get serious with God. I let Jesus save me, but I'm ready for Jesus to come and be the Lord of my life, my family, my faith, my future, my finances. Joe, I'm ready to rededicate my life. I want Jesus to come and be the Lord of my life. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. God will take your sin as far as the east is from the west, put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven, and God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from him. So right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Joe, that's me. I need to get born again this morning. Would you pray that prayer over me? Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life this morning. I'm ready to get serious with God. If that's you on either count right now, would you simply just get your hand up and wave it up and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there. Thank you there. Yes. Thank you right there. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? It'll never get easy. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. God does the saving. He does the forgiving. He just needs your permission. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, I didn't raise my hand yet. Please include in your prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Thank you for your boldness. All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God is about to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them. Everybody in here, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, Come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for those that prayed that prayer this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice and the voice of a stranger. They will not follow. You're going to talk to them when they go to sleep, when they wake up and they walk during the day. Father, they're in your hand. No man can take them out. We welcome them both into the family, back into the fold. And Lord, I ask you, as they leave today, would you surround them with a shield of divine favor? May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends into their life that's going to strike iron, cause them to grow in your grace in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, would you? Praise God. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.